fickle. Just keep that in mind. If you will, this evening, open your Bibles to the book of John once again. This evening, the third chapter. And I want us to read verses 11 through 21. And I know that it's a rather lengthy reading. At least for the people in St. Louis, it's a lengthy reading. But they tell me I read a lot, a lot of scriptures anyway, so uh, be that as it may. But beginning of the book of John, the third chapter, verse 11. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, How shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath seen, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deed, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Our God and our Father, once again, is our great and precious blessing and gift to be assembled together this evening. And Father, I thank you for this congregation, for their hospitality, for their love, for their just total treatment of me since I've been here. Father, I do ask you bless this congregation, that you use them, and that they be faithful unto you at all times. But may I not be neglectful of that body that you have in St. Louis that you entrusted me with. I ask that even this evening you'd be with them as they assemble to meet together there. May, Father, the time that they spend together be a time of uplifting and encouragement. That in this midweek service, the affairs and the cares of this life 
would not be able to overwhelm them, but they might finish out the week until the next Lord's Day. And they might look forward to yet assembling again. Now, Father, we open your word, guide and direct those things that are said, those things that are done, and may your word be effectual. As your word says, it will not return unto you void, but it will go forth and do those things which you purpose. We don't know what you purpose, Father, but we know that it will be accomplished. Be merciful and forgiving, Father, for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, Christ is here talking to Nicodemus, which you will find in verse 1 of this chapter. He's talking to Nicodemus, the same individual that he had to explain the truth of the necessity of a person being born again. We understand that that again means to be born from above. Earlier this week, we touched on that matter of having to be born by God. The fact that we are born in this life naturally does not make us a child of God. We must be born from above. We must be given life anew because the life that we were born with is temporary. It is not going to live in the presence of God or exist in the presence of God throughout eternity. But for those that are born from above, there's something great gracious and gloriously new for them. And that is eternal life in the presence of God, in the presence of his Son, and in the presence of his saints and his angels. Christ here in verses 11 and 12 lays bare the ignorance of Nicodemus. Look at verse 11 and verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If if I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? But you will notice also at the latter part of verse 10, though it says to Nicodemus, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? This is a serious indictment against Nicodemus. You are a master of Israel, but you don't know of the need. To be born again. You don't understand how the Spirit of God works. 
He even used the example of the wind. You see its effect. But you really don't know from which it's coming. You don't quite understand the workings of the wind and nature itself. But yet, you as one that, at least I understand as a teacher of Israel, someone that should know, you are willfully ignorant. But I have to admit sometime even for myself, the Lord could very easily say, You've been preaching and pastoring one of my churches. And there's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of elements, there's a lot of aspects that I'm not sure of. I have little by little asked your pastor some questions. Some things I want to try and get set in my mind. And I say this because I don't want to be overly harsh against Nicodemus. But I do have to admit that the Lord does lay very bare his ignorance. But if I were to be unduly harsh against him, I would also be laying myself open for some rather harsh indictment on the level of things that maybe I should understand and I don't. He begins also in verse 13, and he says, No man hath hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. The Son of Man is truly a special individual. He is one that took upon himself the likeness of a man. He took upon himself a human body. He took upon himself a body that could be put to death. And yet at the same time, he is both man and God. That was a marvelous realization in my mind when it became clear to me that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ dwells harmoniously a human nature and a divine nature. That's why it speaks of him as being tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because he doesn't have the sin nature. But he has a human nature in the fact that he is likened unto us. But at the same time, this one is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is at all places at all times because he is divine. He is God. He is all powerful because he is God. 
He is omniscient because he is God. And I think about Nathaniel. When the Lord spoke to him about sitting under the tree before before his brother came and got him. Think about that for a moment. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know you are his. Before you came to him, he knew exactly where you were. He was aware of where you were at all times. Our Lord, our God, is truly a remarkable and marvelous individual. But let us consider his divinity. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, we find, For it pleased the Father that in him should should all fullness dwell. Then in chapter 2 and verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He set aside his garments of holiness and divinity, but he did not leave any of that there. The garments he set aside, but the person is still there. His divinity is still there. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. God is with us. And for those years he walked this earth, God was with man. He goes on and he tells Nicodemus, No man went to heaven, but the Son of Man who came from heaven has come to this earth. And for a particular purpose, But he says in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I'm going to say also. Because indeed, just as Moses lifted up that serpent, those that come unto him must see him, must look at him, and live. Let's look at that account in the book of Numbers, the 21st chapter, verses nine, uh, verses 5 through 9. Numbers 21, beginning at verse 5, down through including verse 9. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, neither is there any water, and our souls loathe this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord. And against thee, pray unto the Lord that he may, that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it up on a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that, that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a, made a serpent of brass, and put it up on a pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Man must indeed look upon he that hung on the cross at Calvary if he wants to live. He must not just look and he must behold him. He must fix his eyes on him. He must focus his attention on him. He must focus his awe upon that one if he's going to live. This is not just a mere glance, look up, okay, he's there. Our look must be steadfast. Our, our look must be fixed. Our look must be intense. Our look must be life-affecting. We should see a change, and there should be a notable change because we have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice something else in verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. It is incumbent upon man to admit he is a sinner. I think about the publican who, when he was led to pray, he did not lift his eyes up to heaven, look down to the earth, and said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. We cannot run away from the fact that we are sinners. I am a sinner this evening. There's those step programs. I am an alcoholic. I am a drug addict. I am this. I am that. Well, all of those confessions may be good. But the most meaningful, the most effective confession that a man or a woman can make is that that I am a sinner. Because without realizing you're a sinner, you have no need to look for help. If you don't realize you're a sinner, you say, I'm okay. You do not call out to Moses. You don't call out to anyone, help me. When they came to Moses, they said, Moses, we have sinned. Entreat God for us. Intercede for us. Go to God on our behalf and get these serpents removed from our presence. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of us that ever has or ever will come to Christ must follow that same pattern. They must realize they are a sinner. And they must needs petition God 
through the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, to have their sins forgiven that they might live. These individuals said, Moses, petition God for us. Moses, help us. And the Lord gave Moses instructions on what to do. Make a serpent, put on a pole, that everyone that looks at it will live. Folks, this evening that same thing is required. There's a song in many, many song books, look and live, look and live. Do not turn your eyes away from the Lord Jesus Christ. For only then are you going to be delivered from your sin and the death that's rightly yours because of it. Look and live. We have sinned. And no matter what the sin is, you may not be a murderer, a thief. You may not have sinned like I do. Or the person sitting next to you has. But it must be understood that you're a sinner. And the ways of sin is death. These individuals murmured against God and against Moses. God delivered them from the pain of Egypt, the burden of Egypt, the mistreatment of Egypt. Promised them a promised land, promised them a land of milk and honey, and they murmured against God. Then they complained about his provision. What did they say about, and we are so loathe this light bread. God gave them ample provision. You know, God always has given his people what they need. He may not always give us what we want. I have a lot of wants that God has not given me. But it's give me everything that I need. It will behoove me to be satisfied with it. It will behoove me and it will behoove us to be learn to be with content. The Apostle Paul declared, I've abound, I've had, I've had not. But one thing I've learned. I have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. Contentment doesn't come automatic. Contentment doesn't come easy. It has to be learned. These individuals, the sin that they committed was they did not, were not content with what God had given them. They were not thankful what God had done for them, delivered them from Egypt. All they saw was where they were at that moment. They sinned. Sin will kill. Death for sin. The Son of Man must be lifted up that all who behold him should not die but have eternal life. That's why John chapter 3 and verse 16 it's so important for us to realize. We need to realize 
as it says in verse 16, a verse we're all very familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The indication in context of this verse to me, or this chapter, this portion of scripture this evening, is that when you believe in Christ, you have looked and saw him hanging on Calvary's tree on your behalf, for your benefit, for your justification, for your good, that God might be merciful unto you. That's the source of this great blessing of look and live. Look, look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and live, live for eternity. God's love for the world in this love did the Father Determined not to condemn the world, but that the world through his son might live. I think it might be needful that we understand that world. That world does not mean all person, does not mean all persons. It does not mean everybody. But it does mean every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every people, but not every person. Turn if you would to Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Romans the 5th chapter, verse 8 and 9. I said Romans, didn't I? Oh, Revelation chapter 5. Don't forget, I do the same thing at home sometimes. I get to talking and give the wrong book. But Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. And when you're taking the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lord, having every one of them harps, Wait a minute, am I reading the right place? Yes, I read right. Harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seal thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and every tongue and every people, and every nation. Don't let anyone tell you that when it says God so loved the world, that is a get-out-of-jail-free card for all persons. It is a get-out-of-jail-free card for all persons that see the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross at Calvary for their benefit. That's their get-out-of-jail-free card. 
I'm using that phrase because Neil used this a little while ago, so it's stuck in my mind. But do not rest on this, the world. Because if you do not see the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross at Calvary, you will not live. As we go on in this chapter, you will notice, he says in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Every tongue, every kindred, every tribe, every nation might be saved. There will be persons from every single nation upon this earth before the throne of God. Saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't say this for another reason because it's true. Not because it's true here among this people. But it grieves me that we can be so petty and so selfish as to think that there's someone that is not good enough to get into heaven. There's some people that are not good enough to, to go and preach the gospel to. There's some people that Christ didn't die for. See, I don't know who the elect are. Christ does. God does. But what he's told us is to go and preach to, preach to all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Take the gospel to all nations. That's our responsibility. And to say that we determined that some folks that really aren't fit for it should never cross our lips. In Romans chapter one and verse, and verse or Romans chapter eight and verse one, we'll find these words. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. No condemnation. Their sins and their condemnation has been taken away by the Lord Jesus Christ. But all others are yet condemned. This is why it's important to recognize that in verse 16 is not talking about everybody. Because in verse 18 we find, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Romans 8 and 1. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. They're condemned already. Anyone that has not looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and lived is condemned Already. The only thing that's waiting for, for you, that you're waiting for now is your demise. And after your demise, there's the judgment. That's all there is to it. 
Either you look at the Lord Jesus Christ today and live or believe and live or you stay condemned. Your condemnation is not removed. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you have no hope to see that you're in Christ Jesus, have this hope or have this understanding. You are condemned. Already. All of us are condemned. We won't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, tells us very clearly of the condemnation to death in Adam that we all suffer with. The condemnation stands. Not having been taken away. You'll know further how, how serious their condemnation is. Verse 19 tells us, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For every one that doeth evil Hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Turn back to the first chapter of the book of John. And I want you to notice beginning at verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came to, came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. And the world made by him, and the world knew him not. They didn't want that light. They still don't want that light. If you are not given, if you're not believing in Christ Jesus this evening, you are ignoring that light. The Lord Jesus Christ is the true light. That true light has come. But so many refuse to see it. And they refuse to see it to their own peril. They refuse to see it for their own condemnation. There'll be no reprieve. The only one, the only means by which the condemned sinner can receive a pardon Is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people on death row that may want a pardon. But there's no pardon unless there's some evidence that is presented to show that they were not guilty. When the case 
of man. As far as God is concerned. There's no, there is no new evidence that can be given that you're innocent, that you're not guilty. Every sin that you commit in thought, word, or deed declares you are guilty. There is no new evidence that can be offered. The only thing that can be done, the only thing that can be presented as a means for a pardon is that you look and you live. You look and you believe. That we spoke of that one individual on the cross next to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them railed. One of them confessed he was a sinner. One confessed he was worthy of his condemnation. The death he was about to die, he was worthy of it. He confessed that fact. But before he closed his eyes in death, the Lord Jesus Christ declared to him, This day. Shall you be with me in paradise? Why? One, because he confessed his sin. And number two, he petitioned the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sin. He petitioned the Lord Jesus Christ, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's still the pattern today, folks. Now, it may very well come to you as you close your eyes in death. But I would admonish you this evening, don't wait that long. Come now, repent now. Confess your sin unto God. With the mouth, confession is made. That must be done. Verse 21 as we close. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Their deeds are now the works that God does through them. Turn your Bible, if you would, lastly. At Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Philippians chapter 2 and the 13th verse. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Those that are born from above, those that are born again, those that have come to the light, their works are the works that God worketh in them both to will and to do. It is God that gives them the will it is God that gives us the ability to do his good pleasure. Believer this evening, it is not your right, 
It is not your privilege. It is not for you to do your good pleasure. It behooves you if you are in Christ to do his good pleasure, not yours. Unbeliever, it is incumbent upon you to look upon he that hung on the cross of Calvary and live. Just like the Jews did many years ago, many centuries ago, they looked upon the serpent that Moses had made of brass, hung on a pole, they looked at it, and they lived. Look, behold, take heed of the Lord Jesus Christ and live with the Paul.